0: Damon.
1: Hey Jeremy, how are you?
0: I'm well. It's a little cloudy, but I see blue as well, and I don't see a lot of smoke,
1: so I'm happy. How about you? Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, clear air, a little overcast, but nice and muggy for a late September day in northern Michigan. Excellent.
0: Well, I want to talk to you today about the weather inside, the weather outside, and the third dimension that I'm gonna have you help me explore. Okay. So I had this insight a few years ago, and then I had an experience last year, and I've put them together, and I haven't really shared them with too many people, and I don't even think I've shared them with you, but they really ground so much of the perspective I bring to this podcast, this ongoing conversation. Is that something I can explore with you?
1: Absolutely, it is. Awesome.
0: So- A few years ago, I had this funny realization, which is this. There is another dimension of existence (laughs) that I had never experienced. And I know you're going to think that this is a guy I met in Baja who showed me the light, shared some pills, some mushrooms, some ayahuasca, (laughs) some whatever. But this was actually almost purely intellectual insight. But it was about Some of the limitations of the intellect itself. And it was this I spend so much of my time in my thoughts. And my thoughts are not true. They are not false, but they are not facts. They are usually about the past, anxiety, regret, cherishing, remembrance, or the future, hopes or fears, plans, schemes, to-do lists. And what I think might happen, might happen. What I'm reacting to has already passed, or it hasn't come yet. But the point is, it's not now, and it's not true. It is, in a way, a, a fantasy life. My thoughts are a fantasy life. And the funny thing is, when we think of a fantasy life, It's often a pejorative in the sense of, yeah, it'd be great if we could live in a fantasy, but the real world isn't like that. (laughs) But this is a fantasy that's punishing, that's harsh, that's negative. And yet, like any other fantasy, it's still not real. Do you know what I mean? I do. At the same time, there is this present moment existence that is essentially... Sensory phenomenological, call it what you will. What do I literally see in front of me out of my eyes if I look? What is the smell that I can take in through my nose? What is the sound I am hearing? What are the sensations I am feeling in my hands and the rest of my body, and so on through my senses? And what's funny is that this is often really quite pleasant. Mm-hmm. It's almost paradisical if I just stop. I'm like, what do I hear? Huh. It's calm or interesting or sweet. What's the taste of my tongue? Well, I actually I had a pretty good lunch. What am I seeing? Well, I've got this beautiful view of my slice of Montana. What is the smell in the air? It's usually neutral or pretty positive. How does my body feel? And it's Pretty comfortable often. And I can certainly make it more so. I can put a hoodie or sweatpants or socks or blanket or whatever. You can tell (laughs) it's a rainy day here or whatever else suits or soothes me. And what's funny is that is real. It is true. That is what is really happening. But it is what is the escape, the sweetness, the paradise. And meanwhile, I realized I just spend so much of my waking existence in this negative fantasy life. So that was the realization that put me on a lot of this track that has led us to this conversation today. Does that
1: resonate for you? Does that ring true? Can you go back a little bit? I was actually a little bit lost in my thoughts. So didn't really hear you very well.
0: <laughs> no problem.
1: I'm just ah. kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh wow, does it resonate with me? Which me are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where to be where to even begin with that? My tendency is to try to pull up a study around mind wandering and how these guys at Harvard did a study in 2010 and we essentially mind wander about 50% of our waking lives. So that's the easy default for me to cite, but I've been wondering whether that's a little bit of a cop-out. And what I mean by that is, to your point at the beginning, thoughts aren't true, but they're also not false. It's my will. If I exert will and I and exert intention and manipulate perception then i can basically create whatever reality i want the real bugger is when we don't realize we're doing it and so yes it resonates with me i am also comfortable i'm also have pleasant view right now but that is another area that i think is worth a deeper dive is around what is pleasant and if we are to say that everything is reality in in the moment i mean what if a jackhammer is pounding away at the sidewalk do i still as i go through that sensory list do i still list what i hear as okay that's that's just a jackhammer banging on some concrete and so this is where it gets a little tricky for me is the label of good, bad, pleasant, unpleasant. Because some some real moments are excruciating.
0: I'm so glad you brought up the jackhammer. Because if you walk through New York City or probably any major metropolitan area, you hear jackhammers all the time and you're still completely lost in thought. <laughs> so even a jackhammer doesn't have that much power to bring us back to reality. And so it really is a conscious choice. And then how you experience the jackhammer, sure, those are perhaps problem points or when the reality is not as pleasant as it might be otherwise. But I think they're pretty fleeting. And meanwhile, again, we're spending, I would say 50% is such an underestimate. I would say (laughs) 99.50% in this grasping or aversion to use that framework or just hoping and fearing to try to avoid those moments of unpleasantness or moments of pain. But meanwhile, we're in no moment at all. We are not in reality. And as we've discussed before, the wanting something you don't have or fearing something that might happen to you is pretty unpleasant. And it's almost as unpleasant as the experience itself. But the experience when you have a unpleasant experience if we'll just let labels happen for that conversation if you have it it's pretty short in duration usually but the anticipation is potentially days months years your life so when i had this realization and just started noticing how in my thoughts i was i made this resolution which was just i want to visit reality more often hmm. I want to check in to my body and my senses and literally say, Can I see what is in front of me? Can I smell what is in the air? Can I taste what is on my tongue? Can I hear? Can I feel? And just do that a few times a day. Can I be in that five times a day for a minute? Can I do a quick sensory scan? And I've built up from that, but that was a stretch. That was a challenge. And it's when I, said i discovered this whole other dimension <laughs> hmm. which isn't the crazy trippy dimension it's even though it is quite blissful usually it's it's also reality and that's what blew my mind not just that through our perceptions or choosing positive thoughts or framing we can have access to a more pleasant way of interpreting the world but that dropping any of that framing at all just checking in with what's really happening you can realize these these big things i'm running from or to aren't actually there at least in this moment and a really nice destination if you will is right here and i'm in it already
1: yeah i i there's there's a lot to to consider with what you just said there And what's coming up for me is around our interpretation through our brain of those senses that you were talking about. So if you think about the brain, it's locked in this pitch black cavern up there. So it's not the brain that's interpreting reality, right? It's our senses are the liaison. And they are sending information that then the brain is interpreting.
0: But it's like, it only chooses often to open up or interpret. It only shares bad news.
1: (laughs) Right. So like the the thinking part, it just as a rough way of describing this could be looked at more as a top-down process in the brain. We are incredible problem solvers. We've figured out the math and the engineering to launch a rocket and drop a buggy on Mars. We know through science, some very sophisticated things, and all of the things that humans have done through this problem solving part of our brain, this more intellectual part of our brains and I think what for me at least and I think it, it, on a, a more broad level we get we get drunk on that processing if you're a problem solver, everything's a problem everything's a problem, everything's a problem you know if you're trying to get out of the maze. And you need to assess and experiment and try things, then that, that top down processing is really powerful and it's really effective. But I think the 99.50% that you had mentioned is us being so in the front of our mind or more of the prefrontal cortex of our mind where we're thinking and, and, and all that intellectual stuff comes from, but also the rumination, also the, the worry and the concern slides in there through the more smoke detector part of our brain, uh, more ancient part of it, so we get lost, we get lost we we don't see what's right in front of us we don't smell what's going through our nose, etc, and because of all that there's this low hum of anxiety and discontent because it's as you say, it's this, all of these projections, what happened in the past? What could I have done differently? How come that person did this? What's going to happen in the future? Oh my gosh. Maybe I'll be able to sign that book deal. Or what if a, a flood comes in and ruins my house? All of these things that aren't true are really where we get fixated and captivated. And so when you're talking about the senses, that's really more of a bottom up. Processing where you're not latching onto anything, you're not solving anything, you're not trying to exert your own will over the moment through all that chatter and all of that noise that your quote unquote, the intelligent part of your brain really wants to stay in the driver's seat. But you are letting go and you are opening up. And it's not easy to do because we're not used to doing it. But it's very refreshing and it is one of the methods that i suggest for people who are either let's say they're studying for their act or mcat or just in the the day-to-day grind of uh, trying to make it through in normal life situations this concept of active recovery a skill or a tool or an approach like Letting go and being more bottom-up, what do I see, what do I smell, what do I feel, what do I hear, is a really wonderful way to transfer power and allow the other parts of our brain to have a moment. Because if you think about all that thinking, most of it's about me. When I'm thinking, it's I'm thinking about me. And that is the ego and all of my stories and these things that are happening to me. But when we do this bottom-up approach, it's about we. I'm I'm a member of this moment, and I don't have to be the CEO of the moment. And I think there's a lot of relief that comes from recognizing that.
0: When you mentioned the mouse or rat in the maze, I started to smile in recognition. It's a common a you know, metaphor as well as literal scientific thing but then i thought okay let's say we're rats in the maze okay let's let's say that well do we actually need to get out of the maze the maze is life right mm-hmm. there's no there's this illusion that like you're out of the maze you've you've figured it all out you're done i don't know what it, how it's better <laughs> for yeah. a rat or, or us outside of the maze even if we could get there but let's say here i am i'm in a maze but Maybe I should be in amazed. Hmm. Why do I have to go anywhere? Can I just stop and look at the maze I'm in? What is the taste on my tongue? What is the feeling in my body? What am I seeing? We're not literally usually trapped in these indistinguishable corridors that we associate with a maze. We're in a place where there's temperature and there's humidity and there's environment and there's maybe music or sound and there's all the other sensations that we can experience so why not be in the maze
1: yeah and it and it makes me think about awe where when when we think literally about being on this this jewel floating in space And we are all members. We're all made up of the stardust of the universe. And we are fed by a star that's 98 million miles away. And it's just the perfect amount of light and warmth to nurture our existence on and on and on and watch a flower blossom, watch a, a maple tree have its leaves change colors. I mean, it's it's everywhere. And awe is is a really powerful antidote to some of this obsessive thinking. And it's a really beautiful perception shift. For example, what if I said to you, if you're going to think about the future and point, which which way are you pointing right now? Forward. Natural tendency to point forward. Some cultures actually point backwards Mm -hmm. because it's what they can't see yet. And then just just to add on to that.
0: My mind is already blown.
1: Yeah, why (laughs) why forward? We're floating in space. We're there's no this isn't linear. So I think that when we sprinkle a little awe in, it does bring us back it does slow us down. It, it allows us to see the beauty that exists right here, right now, in whatever form that comes in. And, and to your jackhammer point, that's a really strong statement that even the jackhammers can't keep me out of my thinking. So, so how do we do this? Can, we, can, we, can I offer a suggestion that we actually have a choice? And it seems like that's what you intellectually stumbled upon is that, hey, wait a minute, I, I actually have a choice here. Would you frame it that way? And if so, is it possible to remember that you have a choice more frequently throughout the day?
0: Yeah, it's so straightforward. Just visit these five senses every once in a while. You can literally set a reminder or in these moments of stress or tension, just remember that as an alternative or follow any of the many wonderful practices that are under the rubric of mindfulness. And I want to say, this was the project that I began a few years ago, and I thought, this is the lifelong project. Can I just be more in this moment? That's actually pretty nice. It doesn't mean abandoning my thoughts altogether, but how could I? I'm trying to move the dial from 99.5% to 90% to Mm. 85% to 50-50. That seemed quite a reach goal for my lifetime. And that's not the end of the story I wanted to share with you. Do you mind if I just bust right past rumination versus mindfulness and get to another part? Go for it. So I thought that was it. My mind was blown. I was so excited and challenged. And I thought, this is it. There's this whole other dimension I did not know about. And it's actually real. And it's quite nice versus this fantasy that's quite unpleasant, usually. This past and the future versus this present moment of our senses. Then I went to a float tank. (laughs) 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 uh, Have you ever done this? I have. So you know what this is, but if our listeners don't. Do you want to describe it?
1: Well, essentially you are in a pod of sorts that encapsulates you in liquid with this sense of buoyancy in pitch black with my recollection is the liquid is also basically body temperature.
0: And the liquid, to be clear, isn't some crazy weird thing. It's salt water. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's water. It's yeah. warm saltwater.
1: Right. So yeah, you're buoyant. You're floating. You have no sense of light and, in and, and a sense, no sense of body when you're in there.
0: Yes. And you just hit it. You're not drowning. There's don't take the air out. You're in a covered saltwater pool. But it's called a float tank. At least that was how I'd heard of it. I had not heard thought of it in what it also is, which is a sensory deprivation chamber. Mm-hmm. So in this environment, I was not in my thoughts, particularly, because it was so sensory to begin with. It wasn't an intellectual experience, right? You're you're entering this pod, this tank, and at first it's quite sensory but then it's also not bodily because your body becomes weightless and it's almost zero sound it's in the dark there's nothing to see there's no thing to touch there's no particular smell or taste and it was like i had not just taken off my clothes but i had taken like unzipped my body And left it on the floor. (laughs) And I was left with breathing and witnessing. And I was so surprised to find was not insight, because it wasn't in my head particularly, and not sensory because it wasn't in my body, but this experience of a a third dimension. (laughs) Which to me was being. And if thinking dimension is the past and the future, and the sensory body dimension is the present, the being dimension had a timelessness to it. It was witnessing and being outside of participating outside of having ideas or even seeking pleasure in the sensory sense. And again, remember the sensory one was new to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this was quite profound. And it was an experience, not a intellectual insight. So I'm still struggling to articulate it. But I guess, and I, I viewed this metaphorically, that there I viewed sort of life as essentially a candle,
1: like a fire or a flame.
0: And that was what was animating me. But what was interesting in this dimension is my experience of it or my perception of it or whatever you want to call it, was to me the the thing about a flame is or just being alive is it had not changed from being born to the present moment it wasn't like it had had it it was outside of experience and for that matter it was the same for all people and perhaps all life and again the flame metaphor is useful because Think about a candle inside you or a candle inside me. Is there a difference in the flame itself? Hmm. The wind can blow it up or whatever, but it's the same thing. It's just fire. It doesn't have anything to do with like where I went to college or (laughs) what your mother told you when you were seven or your tennis record or (laughs) my bank account. It just doesn't affect the flame. And it could go out. But it's not personal. If a flame goes out, it does not affect the existence of fire elsewhere, or that the constitution of fire. And it could be kindled at the same time too. Life can come from nothing in that sense. In the sense of, if I like, take a stick and I bring it to a forest fire, and I put it into the forest fire, and I walk away with my stick on fire. I have not taken anything from the forest fire. There's this indistinguishability an outside of experience for the fire, not for the thing that is burning. <laughs> mm-hmm. But to me, that was so mind-blowing because it suggested that there's a whole part of me that is outside of, of experience and is outside of sensation as well as outside of, of thought. Or I should say, not necessarily a part of me, but I'm part of something. <laughs> mm-hmm. You talked about the me to the we. And since then, especially right after I came out of that, and I was looking at people just slack because I was seeing this flame inside them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was like their particular bodies and their life experiences and their thoughts were as arbitrary as an item of clothing they were just something that was on but there was this this common core to to all of us and i guess where i went with that was i can toggle in my awareness or perspective amongst these three dimensions and i can go from thinking to Sensory to being itself or toggle between any of the three. And it's a way to understand everything (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) because it's like I'm upset about politics that's happening in my thinking dimension. And I'm cozy in my upper body, but cold in my toes. That's in my body dimension. And I just exist and am, or life is living me in that being dimension. And nothing that happens can change that being dimension. Nothing I'm striving for, nothing I'm ducking and trying to avoid. And there was a real comfort and real, real top, top, top (laughs) big picture view from that. So, I've put all that in a box or a float tank. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'll slide it across the table Mm -hmm. to you and see what you make of it all.
1: I think it's fascinating and it really lands with me. And I I think that trying to articulate these types of concepts, top, top, top level, things is really difficult to do. And I thought you did a really good job of doing that. I'm really interested in your the toggle aspect of this. So I can see how the thinking mind in that dimension, that's easy to activate. In fact, it's, it's really hard to deactivate. Most of the time it's active. I can see how the sensory in embodied dimension gets activated. Talk me a little bit through how you can activate The being dimension.
0: Well, I wonder if it has to be experienced. And once you're in it, it's activated. And then the question becomes, what's the pathways to activating it? Mm -hmm. Because obviously, I think my story will actually be familiar to a certain group of listeners, which are people that have taken psychedelic drugs. Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty common experience from my reading of those experiences, I have not. I have never taken psychedelic drugs. I have never taken drugs, which is weird and embarrassing at this point. <laughs> at my age, I'm I'm embarrassed in this show and context. A whole other show we'll talk about it. But I'm such a straight man in that sense. So to have had this experience, whose validation or Articulation I have only otherwise seen is from hallucinogenic explorers. <laughs> mm-hmm. To me, makes it seem more true because these different pathways have have opened up the same understanding. And again, remember, I did not have that intention. I wasn't like, I'm going on a trip. I thought I was going to a float tank. I was taken aback that it was actually, in this experience, a sensory deprivation chamber, not taken aback in a negative sense, but oh yeah. That was a total surprise to me. Mm. I was such a newbie. It was just a random thing to try and see what it was like. And so that experience, I just didn't feel like it was set up for me. And so, in a sense, it feels more valid. That's my fear is the only way to activate it is to experience it. And I've suggested a pathway. I've also mentioned another one that I know other people have taken. I don't know. Do you have others that you can think of near-death experiences? That's... (laughs) Mm -hmm. Go for it, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Like My Stroke of Insight by Jill Bolt Taylor. I mean, that's a fascinating book. It's a neuroscientist describing her own stroke. Mm. And she comes to a lot of these same perspectives from having a stroke and is just like, this is great. I can switch how I want to be and hopefully some of you can avoid the 10 years of recovering from a stroke (laughs) Mm -hmm. although I wouldn't trade them for the world in the sense that they gave me access to this whole other dimension of existence and I don't mean that in the flowery nebulous trippy sense I don't think but I realize I, I may have stepped onto a cloud so you tell me.
1: Yeah. Hey, I don't know if anyone really has any expertise on this cloud. I was going to mention near-death experience. I was listening recently to a doctor on a podcast. He was on the Rich Roll podcast. His name is Zach Bush, and he's a triple board certified doctor. He's obviously very smart. And one one of the areas is he, he over, one of the his areas of specialty is end of life, and he will link this in the show notes. But there's this there's a clip of him explaining how similar these the, the 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 small percentage of people who had either gone into cardiac arrest or for other reasons were on the playing footsie with their mortality. And most of them, he was saying that they don't save, but the ones that they did save and do save, almost to a person. And we're talking about people from different socioeconomic and cultural, those that have a lot to live for, those that that don't have seemingly much on material possessions. But all across the gamut, the first Commentary from those people who came back from this near death experience was, Why did you bring me back? And when he explains it and describes it, and again, we're talking about this is a man of medicine, triple board certified man of medicine. So this is not woo woo, but the way he described it was so convincing that when you, when this, this flame that we just, the the being part uh, of our existence is this eternal beauty. And it's very calming to consider that. And having not, I haven't personally had experience with the float tank. We'll save the deep dive for another show. I have done hallucinogenics and have some experience with how that framed my sense of what reality may look like beyond the the ego mind. But I just found that to be really moving. That, like I said, almost to a person, why did you bring me back? They that you were let behind the curtain in a sense, and that I do think, in a practical way, having some uh, relationship with that dimension, your the being dimension, can go a long way to inform how we want to show up in the other dimensions that you mentioned. and the pathways, as you s- said earlier, are the things that are re- that that really are fascinating for me to consider, and some of them are creating the right conditions. At least I'm going to put the high performance cap on for a second, but creating the right conditions to start wiring specific behavioral changes within your brain. Simple things, right? Like wake up in the morning and start by taking a breath before you do anything else. Just wake up, inhale four, exhale eight, right? Just set this calm tone feel some sense of gratitude for something and this isn't like get your list out and and write your three gratitudes this is just feel specific detail around what it is that you're grateful for one thing that really is in there for you set an intention for how you want to show up for the, for you for and throughout the day and then just feel Being in your body—that bottom-up approach of not grabbing and getting in the driver's seat and turning the car on and putting it in gear and hitting the gas—which is what most of us do—we click the alarm, we leap out of bed, we go turn the coffee on, we get in the shower, we check our phones, and then we're then we're so far from that flame, and it's just no wonder that this becomes a downward cascading spiral throughout the day and also how many moments throughout the day we are triggered by something that's beneath our level of awareness and we react in a way and maybe we've got the the insight to look an hour later or later that night and say man why did I snap in that moment why did I bark why did I cower what really set me off in there and that exploration is a, a worthy pursuit. I wonder how one would be in day-to-day life with those pathways more ingrained, more open. And I realize that it's it's a bit of a difficult thing to imagine or to perceive that this flame, this eternal flame you're speaking about Finding pathways there when, in a fact we're already there it's it's a matter of my imagery that I had go back to is just it's very sophomoric, but just those snow globes and and we're just shaking them and rattling them around and if that snow globe is our sense of perceiving our reality, setting it down i'm not doing anything once I set it down i I am I'm observing. And what I observe is all that blizzardy snow just settle, settles. And because it settles, I, I see within. And within is, for the sake of this, the construct of this conversation is that flame. So what did I do to create the pathway to have a clear insight? I, I, I let go, which is also really counterintuitive, I think, for most of us
0: you've prompted me to recall a few different practices. I've got some more pathways. Mm -hmm. Two are ones we've mentioned on the show. I've talked about a space visualization I do that just moves out from my current position. So we get to the scope of the universe. And that is another way to shrink your body and self down to just nothing in the course of that meditation. And, I think that really connects me with the being mode. Another is the deep time exercise we did together on that episode, which is to see where we are in time and how short our duration is, our family's duration, everything we know and care about, even human existence, even Earth's existence isn't that long. And that also has a, A real unzipping effect, but in a morning practice, I loved all the ones you said. I just got so calm, and I tilted my head and started looking at the clouds (laughs) Mm. when you were describing them and the the breath: inhale for four and exhale for eight, for example. And I realized something I've done pretty much since that experience is the first thing I do, you know, after I'm out of bed is I do a witnessing and by that I mean I just walk outside and I just look and I'm not trying to do anything it's not like a exercise it's a practice and I just see what's out there and it's usually quiet it's usually void of people but not always sometimes there's a train sometimes there's cars Often after a minute or so, there's some animal noise of some kind, whether it's a deer, a bird, a dog, a baby, a bear. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful way to start and ideally end the day too, if I can. I try to circle back to that before I go to bed, just walk out the door and yeah, just be, not sense, not think. So that those are some I'll, I'll add to it.
1: Yeah, and I think you're really tapping into that bottom up that I was speaking of earlier and just witnessing that's a really perfect and beautiful word for for that practice. When we witness we are not in control. We're not controlling anything. We're not describing, we're not assessing, uh we're not exploring, you know, we're not uh judging. We're just witnessing. And that is that is the essence. And maybe that's the
0: way that people, without going to a float tank or dropping acid or having a stroke, can think about some of this stuff. It's just, just toggle. You don't have to sense. You don't have to think. Can you just witness for a minute? For me, it also wonderfully connected with the mantra that I mentioned in our Mantras show. So that was important to me because I was like, oh, gosh, I boiled everything you need to know in life <laughs> to these statement that my wife Chrissy had told me. Nothing really matters. There is only now. That's a thought. And I was like, does this way of thinking jibe with that? is there something that my mantra is missing Just <laughs> speak about my crutch? And I was like, no, my mantra knew before me because I thought about it and I was like, oh my gosh, nothing really matters. That is when you're, I'm on the being
1: <laughs>
0: dimension. There is only now. That's when I'm in the sensory dimension. That's a thought. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm in the thinking dimension.
1: <laughs>
0: and I was like, oh, my mantra knew well before me. <laughs> and so I found that reassuring too. I was like, oh, it's been independently proven by my mantra. Again, <laughs> these different pathways, which remember I wrote down with stray comments that Chrissy said to me in a bored way <laughs> while talking to me, while I was in angst, while she was also reading a magazine. So that's something I wanted to share as a close for me. How would you close our time together or put any of this else into action for for
1: others? Well, I'll just quickly piggyback off the mantra show as well and share mine again, which was, Your will be done, spirit, not mine. In me and through me, show me what I must do this day. and I do think that it's tapping into, uh, I use the word conduit. When I think of this mantra, I feel like a conduit. And in some way, that might be my pathway to that more eternal, ever-present, omnipresent energy source. So uh, that, I think, is a really powerful pathway to be able to at least explore outside of the 99.50% dimension that we're speaking about, which is being lost in our thoughts. I guess I would close with thinking, suggesting that people try to explore some of the bottom up methodologies and, and practices that we're, that we're speaking of witnessing Just allowing your senses to take in information and be aware because it's going to be your instinct is going to want to label everything and then judge it. Oh, that's a tree. It's a maple tree and it's beautiful. How about just witness the tree and do your best to get beyond that snap reaction to put everything inside its own little box? And from that place, you may want to even turn to yourself uh, and become a little more mindful of your own thinking, because not only are we thinking about the projections in the past future, but we're very, very critical of our own selves. And we like to keep ourselves in this small box. So be a witness to all of that. and. Without the expectation of anything coming from it, merely run the experiment, see if you can find some value, and try to put a couple of these practices that resonate with you into practice. Spend a week witnessing, for example. I imagine that at the very least, something will open up from that.
0: I want to add that none of these dimensions are higher or lower than the others in my understanding. They're all happening at the same time. So it's just an option if you don't want to be in the reality you're in. Hmm. There is an adjacent reality that's as valid. And it's not like you have to stay there forever. Good luck maybe i yeah. would if i could it sometimes but it's about moving those dials because i was a hundred percent or 99.5 percent and trying to open up and I don't know, maybe there's a fourth one. I didn't know there was two, and then I didn't know there was three. <laughs> but I feel pretty well covered. Maybe there's something else hidden in my mantra. I've got to go read it again.
1: <laughs> and I'll just also add that I spend a lot of time in two of those dimensions that you're speaking about, the thinking and and the the sensory and body. One thing that I will say when, when you mention that neither of them is better or worse than the other, there is some validity that too much time in that thinking can be corrosive. It can encourage this drip of cortisol, this low-grade level of stress. It can ramp and rev up our nervous system. And at least in my judgment, that's not an optimal place to be, if for no other reason than to be able to have an openness to be able to, to explore that there are that there may be more than just those two dimensions. But on a very practical level, how we're showing up in our day, we, we have less capacity to deal with the complexity and uncertainty when that thinking dimension is, is tipped and a little bit out of balance.
0: Mm. Well said. Yeah. How much can I rest in being and then do some feeling and sensing? And then think when a problem is actually at hand in the present. Thank you for being on all these dimensions with me, Damon. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please keep sharing the show, sharing your feedback with us, sharing your questions. Rate it, review it. All that jazz helps in a dimension or two. And we are so grateful to be floating, standing, thinking, sensing, breathing, witnessing with you.
1: Thank you, everyone. And one more addition to uh, Jeremy's list. If you feel moved to also share ideas that you're exploring, the spirit of the show being stimulus and response, we welcome your stimuli as well. Thanks. Talk soon more, Damon. Bye, Jeremy. Stimulus and Response is hosted by Damon Valentino and Jeremy N. Smith and produced by Matt Mullins at Black Rooster Productions. Please rate, review, and share the show. And please join us next time for another stimulating exploration of the best parts, best ways of being human and being alive.